step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome to Behind the Mask with Cassandra Perkins. Listen today as we show you how to love God, love people, and impact the world for Christ. I was made to love you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Behind the Mask. I'm your host, Cassandra Perkins. I am so happy that you are listening today and joining us today because I am sharing a message that I want everyone to hear. This applies to everyone in all of our lives. We all go through trials and tribulations. We all go through stuff in our life that we want to overcome and that we want to be better at and that we want to overcome the sadness in our life and make it out to be a positive thing, even though that's a really difficult thing to do. That's what we all want to do with our life. I don't care what you're going through, whatever it is, we together can overcome that. And today I really want to share a story of that and how my guest today has really truly overcame that. Let me tell you a little bit about who he is. We have Harry Singer here in studio all the way from UK. I'm so excited to have him here. Let me tell a little bit about who he is. He is amazing. He is uh, committed to serving leaders uh, uh, from all sectors, including billionaires, small business owners, heads of state, local community organization leaders, parents, and even children which is so unique to me because uh, I'm a teen myself. I'm 19 years old uh, at the moment. And I just think when someone as an adult can reach out and help my generation instead of a mentor, he has worked with so many people to name a few. uh, Dr. Deepak Chopra, he's worked with... um, He's worked with Anthony Robbins. He has worked with so many people, even President Bill Clinton, uh, Sir Richard Branson. That's just to name a few. You've worked with so many people. Uh, you have two foundations that I'm going to mention right now. His, your foundation, uh, Harry, and also the team of global youth leaders. You have continued to impact the lives of over a million young people through your glo- global residential leadership summits and programs, as well as speaking of schools and youth committees around the world. You are out there and you are really sharing your story and that is what I think is so special about you Harry and you are out there sharing your story and sharing what you've gone through in your life and hoping to help others to be a leader in theirs thank you so much for being on my show today Harry thank you wow it's a pleasure Um, (laughs) you know it's an honor as well because you know what I always say if you see greatness in someone it's in you and I always say, if you spot it, you got it. So it's an honor to be here with you too. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. You're so kind. And I'm just so uh, happy to have you here and to, to really share your story and get to pick at your mind a little bit and ask you these questions because we all want to be a leader in our life. I mean, there's nobody that wants to sit in the shadows and feel not loved, not wanted. We all want to be leaders in our life and to get out there and make a difference. That's all something we want to do. So to be able to have you go through these things in your life and still be able to sit here today and say, this is what I'm going through. I hope this can help you. That is what makes your story so special and so unique in my opinion. So let's jump into it. Well, I'd like to really ask you the question. I mean, here you are a motivated man inspiring to help others. 
I really want to know where does your story start? And, you know, and I really think uh, it really, it starts with going through the difficulties that you had to go through in your life and having to go through a life of trauma and, and tribulations and, and growing up with domestic violence, growing up with those things. So would you mind really sharing that story with my listeners, if you don't mind? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Be honored. Um, and it's, it's usually the thing that it's always the best place to start. You know, um, as honored and as blessed as I am with the introduction that you gave me, it's like <laughs> my feet are still firmly on the ground because I knew where I come from and will always do that. Um, and so my story in the shortest way I possibly do is growing up in East London um, and growing up with a father who was an alcoholic was challenging itself. But growing up with a father who physically was violent to my mother, to myself, my brothers and sisters was a was a huge challenge. And, you know, I experienced things as a child that I wouldn't wish on any child or even an adult. Um, and I remember some of my earliest memories of having my mum have her earring pulled out of her ear and there was blood trickling down her arm. And I remember my auntie was nursing her better. And she turned to me as a three-year-old and said, it's okay. And I'm thinking as a three-year-old, it's not okay. Something's not right. So... I think we've all been there where we don't know what's going on and something's not right, but it's, I thought, I don't like that man. And then I had experience after experience after experience and it grew to, I don't like that man till I hate that man. But I still didn't know what was going on. And my, that was my question. I wanted to know what was going on, what was going on, what was going on. But um, I am known as a guy that you know took my worst day and turned it into my best day. And my worst day... Um, is what drives me and gives me everything now because it's now my best day. And my worst day happened when I was 15 years old. And 15 years old, I had never really, t I didn't talk to anybody about what was going on at home. Everything that happened at home, that was it, it was behind closed doors. I stepped out of my house ready to go to school and I was ready to partay. I was like, now I'm going to suck out every bit I can from the day. But I never told anybody. And what happened was I... When I was 15, I was doing my homework one evening and I heard my mum screaming. And it was a regular occurrence, happened many times. And I remember running to the bedroom door and kicking down that door. And you know, I lost count the number of times I kicked that door down. But even when I was 15, I was about five foot 10 tall. And my father was about five six and my mum's about five one. Um, and I always joke about that and say, hey, how how's your father 5'6 and she's 5'1 and I'm like six foot tall? And I say <laughs> personal development and leadership is actually works, right? But I remember even as a child at 15, I still had to respect my father. Even though I hated him and saw what he did, it was, I don't know, it was a cultural thing. And, but I knew what my strategy was. If I could just get in between them, then that's how I'd help my mom. And on this particular day, I remember stepping in between my mum and my father and my elbow accidentally knocked my father back and he was on the floor cursing at me and I'm thinking, oh my God, what's happened? But my biggest conflict was this. I hate my dad and I could never understand why he would do what he did to my mum because my mum, like an angel, you know, five foot one, dark hair in a barn, but she's got that face that when she looks at you, you're the special one. <laughs> and but I, I loved her and hated him. But my biggest conflict was every time I intervened and stopped, my mum wouldn't be the one that would look at me and say, thank you, baby, thanks for helping out. She'd be the one that look at me like, what have you done? And she would be the one that sent me to my room. So when she sent me to my room, my, my strategy at that time was 9 p.m. when they start going to sleep, I know what I'm gonna do. 
I'm going to be out of here. Because since the age of 10 and 11, there was a, when my dad was in a certain state, when he was angry and physically violent, I'd stay out overnight. At the age of 10 and 11, I used to be sitting out sleeping on the streets of central London. But I didn't see myself as homeless. I just thought I wasn't going home. And I'd find myself helping the homeless dudes in central London. Because once everybody was parting and leaving, they'd be gone. At 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, it was only the cleaners, the homeless guys and me. After 3, 4 p.m., there was no one left except for homeless guys and me, and me going around making sure they're okay, because I'm thinking, man, their life must be tough. So from the age of 11, 12, that's what I was doing. But now when I was 15, it was different, because I was waiting for the night bus to take me back to East London, and I missed the bus, and it would take another hour before this night bus comes. So I saw a bus going the other way to Heathrow, and everybody knows Heathrow is our big airport terminal in London. I thought, wow. I don't have to sit outside anymore. I could go and sit inside and have vending machines. So I went to Heathrow. So this is what I used to do. That I used to go out and I would spend a couple of days away, come home in the early morning, go back to school. So that was my plan. But it didn't work out that way. What made it my worst day was that night I fell asleep. I didn't get up. I was still in the clothes that I was going to go out in. But I was woken up in the middle of the night with somebody on top of me and with their knees in my ribs with their hands around my throat. And it was my uncle, my dad's brother, my dad's younger, stronger brother. And he was trying to kill me. He was, and I remember I was trying to move. Every time I moved, it was like the wind was taken out of me. And it was dark, and it was fast, slow. And I remember the door swung open. And standing in the door was my mum, all five foot one of her. But there was a light in the hallway, and it looked like there was a halo. So she looked like she was 10 foot tall. And she stormed into the room and she physically grabbed my uncle, who's six foot tall, and she threw him on the floor. And she said to him, don't you ever touch my son again. And then she turned to me and said, go to sleep. And I remember thinking, oh, I just closed my eyes, because I've never seen my mum like that. My mum does not know how to say boo to a goose. And I remember, I was like, you don't go to sleep. Your heart's pounding, my, you know, I'm like, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? And I remember I must have exhausted myself to sleep. And I was woken up in the morning with somebody stroking my face. And it was my mum. And I could see she'd been crying. And yeah. I don't know if she'd been there all night. And she said to me, you've got to get up. You've got to go. And I'm thinking it must say, are you kidding me? Because we didn't speak about this stuff. We didn't talk to each other. And I thought, she said, like, I can't go to school today. I can't put on my happy face. So I knew what I was going to do. I was going to get up and I was going to go and find a friend. And we were going to skip school. We're not going because you know what I I was still aching like as if a car had crushed me. I felt like I got barbed wire down my throat, and I was still in the clothes that wore last night. So I thought I can't do this, and I thought you know that question of what's going on, what's going on, but that isn't what happened because when I went to breakfast, I went to go and eat something, but my mum was standing in the kitchen crying, and she was saying you've got to go, and I realised in her voice she didn't mean go to school, because she'd packed some bags for me. I remember it was like the worst experience for me because I hate my dad and love my mum. And I definitely didn't, I definitely didn't want to leave my mum with my younger brother, my two older sisters already as quick as they could. They went to university or nursing college. But she was crying so much, she was like in pain that if I didn't move, it was hurting her. And she had called my auntie who was sitting outside ready to take me to go and live with her. And I remember it was the, it, that was the worst day of my life. The reason being is because it was the day I left home. And I didn't think I left home. I classed myself as homeless now. 
That's when social services got involved. Other people knew what was going on. But it was the day I went from I hate my dad to there is no word for it. And it to me, it took me 10 years, 10 years to actually get over that resentment, that anger that was inside me. And even though I had those years, I went back home. That was when I was 15. I went back home just before I was 18, the night my father died. But those years in between were really challenging. But I was trying to knuckle down and be good, but I was so angry. Um, but my whole philosophy was this, was when you get angry and you don't care what happens to you, you can get really destructive. But for some reason, I was guided. I had people that believed in me. And I got very constructive. And to me, it was... I was blessed to start working with young people in children's homes. And it was by accident because my social worker said to me one day, what do you want to do today? And I was like, what's your job other than taking me to places where I don't want to go? <laughs> and, and she sort of said, oh, well, I, I said, what would you be doing if you weren't? She goes, oh, I'll, pop, I'll visit children's homes. I said, you visit children's homes? And she said, yeah. And I was like, wow. Because to me, when my dad used to threaten me to put me into a children's home, I'd be like, that's got to be a holiday, isn't it? Because if everything's at home. So there's me. I arrive at a children's home, uh, 16 years old, and with my social worker, and they've left me in a, um, in a room with all the other young people, and the house manager's social worker went off. And I've got a bunch of young people who are older than me as well, and I start asking them questions like, do you have your own room? Do you get pocket money? Do you have your friends come? And they're all looking at me. They're kissing their teeth and they're snarling at me. And I'm like, have I said something wrong? <sighs> and then one of the guys, a big guy, stood up. And, you know, I'm not going to swear or anything, but he used some you know, crude words and literally he told me, shut up. And then he said something. He said, you're the lucky one. Wow. And I remember thinking at the time, and I didn't say it to him because he was bigger than me. I thought, you don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. How dare you say I'm a lucky one? I was lucky enough to stay silent because when I stayed silent, they carried on speaking. And he pointed at one boy and he said, this, he goes, this boy here, he runs away every two or three days to go and see his girlfriend because they weren't from London. They were from away elsewhere in London into this care home. And then they grabbed the girl's arm and they pulled her sleeve up and they showed the cuts that she had on her arm. So she was cutting herself every day. And I started to think, you know what, I understand what you meant by the lucky one. I just sat there and listened to them. Well, you had to hit that realization and you had to be in a place where you hit that realization. And well, I, I mean, some people don't get that realization in their life and, and that realization that maybe you didn't think what was best was what was best. And what you had to go right, through yeah. is, is you know, not a, an, a good thing at all. But the, yeah. the fact that maybe you could relate to those people in a way and, and, and maybe that's what sparked your, your love and your passion for that. We do have to take a break, but when we return, I want to talk a little bit more about what it took for you to speak out and forgive and have forgiveness in your heart. Sure. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Harry Singa. Still 
Have you ever been mad at your kids? I mean, really mad? Put yourself in time out. Or have you ever suspected child abuse and neglect of a child you've seen? Call the Colorado Child Abuse Hotline today. That's 1-844-CO-4-KIDS or 1-844-264-5437. That's 1-844-264-5437. The kids can't wait. Call today. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In biology, I learned that I'm fat and stupid. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic and a joke. The only thing I didn't learn in school today is why no one ever helps. Kids witness bullying every day. They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying and be more than a bystander at stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Cassandra Perkins from Behind the Mask. And I'm Lynn Reamer with Act on Drugs. Being a teen in today's society, we have more pressure today than teens have ever had in the past. I remember sitting in math when the teacher walked out of the room and the kid in front of me in class offered me a blunt. You know, marijuana is a very popular drug in schools today. In fact, Colorado is 56% higher than the national average with teen marijuana use ages 12 to 17-year-olds. Lynn, what are some of the signs that parents can look for in their kids that they have been using drugs? Well, I think the first thing you need to do is just take a good look at your kid and pay attention to your senses. What do you see? Are their eyes dilated or constricted? Are they grinding their teeth? Are they sweating? Pay attention to what you smell. Do you smell alcohol, marijuana, chemicals, or do you smell vomit? And pay attention to what you hear. Are they slurring their words? Are they speaking fast, slow? Are they taking a while to answer? Are they following your conversation? If you just pay attention, you can put it all together. And parents, don't ever be afraid to have that conversation. Parents who have that conversation with their kids are less likely to do drugs. And if you're struggling with anything, don't ever be afraid to ask. Always step up and ask for help. No matter how hard it is, help is available. For resources and more information, visit my website at actondrugs.org. Let's rejoin Behind the Mask with Cassandra Perkins on 810 KLVZ, where love lives. Welcome back, everyone. I am joined right here in studio with Harry Singa. Thank you so much for being here. I'm having such an amazing time listening to your story. Thank you so much for being here again. I Pleasure. very much appreciate it. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about really your story mm -hmm. and really where your story originates. And sadly, your story really starts with a lot of abuse and home abuse and, and having to go through that almost on a daily basis. But here you are, you get uh, you know pulled out of your home, you get sent away by your mom. Mm -hmm. and and you go to live with your aunt, correct? That's right. That's right. And you go to visit this home for kids. Yeah. Would you mind? You're telling us a little bit about yeah. the, these kids that you uh, addressed, and you you think that they're just living in this paradise where they get their own rooms and they're so happy and everyone's a big family. Yeah. And it was a little different than you imagined. Would you mind uh, explaining yeah, to my yeah. listeners I mean, that? Because of you know the threat that my father used to say, "I'll put you in a children's home," um, I. There was a big part of me that said children's home can't be worse. And I, that's because 
we used to watch those Australian soaps, Home and Away and Neighbours and things like that. And they were like a foster family on a beach. And we don't have yeah. beaches in London, but I thought, hey, it's pretty cool, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was the fantasy I had about it. And, you know, when you're a kid, no one teaches you what's a children's home. And we didn't, I didn't know any others that were in children's home at the time. Um, or probably they were and I didn't know about it, right? But um, the, the what happened with those young people is when I just sat there and listened to them. I realized a couple of things. One, that children's home, care home wasn't exactly what I thought it would be. And the second thing I learned was what he had said to me, that I was one of the lucky ones. And I never saw it. I never could relate to anything great in my life because all I could think of was all the terrible stuff. And that's why I, I just sat there and I took everything in. And then like, the manager came back and the social worker came back and I left. And a, a week or two later, my youth worker, who was one of the most amazing souls that took me under his wing, uh, at the time I used to think he hated me because he would put me in such dangerous situations where I would mediate between gangs. And I'd like thinking, I don't care, I want to do this. Because remember, I didn't care what happened to me. But I would be mediating between gangs and I'd be doing work with places. But he, he called me over because I spent a lot of time with youths. And he said to me, I need to quickly speak to you. And I was like, anytime someone said that to me as a kid, I think I did something wrong. And I think, I had to, what have I done? And he said, and I could see the social worker sitting in his office because he had a glass window. And he said, did you go to visit a children's home? I said, yeah, it weren't my fault. It was her fault. She took me. And I was, I was, he said, no, stop. Listen to me. He said, social services have contacted us. Uh, the care home, the manager of care home contacted social services and said, when is your colleague coming back to run his anger management <laughs> workshop? And I remember looking at Marty going, what anger management workshop? I was like, oh. And he's going, you've been doing your stuff again. And he knew I was, in, I was doing stuff and I was getting results, but I didn't know what I was doing. I was just being, right? And I was like, cool. I said, but I don't know what to do with them. He goes, just do what you do. Here's the challenge. They can't, they can't pay you. You're 16. And he goes, what we'll do is, here's what I'm going to offer. He goes, do you want to do it? I said, yeah. And I said, but tell me how much they're paying first. And I was just playing with it. It's like, it was a lot for a young kid at the time. And it was like, so what he did was he got them to pay social services. Social services paid youth service. <laughs> and they paid me for expenses. So my career started. I went back to that. And these guys were waiting for me. And they were like, because that care home said, those kids were never the same after that thing wow. because what happened was this and it's still you know it warms my heart to this day they carried on having times when they started chatting to each other because all of them as they were telling me the stories they didn't really talk to each other about it they were just in a negative state so i just went on from there and then i here's my channel this is what i love about what you do cassie is this people kept telling me you're going to be great one day and i used to think okay what have i got to do and all I wanted to do was become a social worker now because I thought I could go and do this stuff. But I went on a counselling course and I went and they told me I was too young to get qualified at 16. So I did the same course over and over again for five years before I was 21. And that was how I then created it. And by the time I was 21 years old, I was the chair of the mental health service in our area. I became the, one of the youngest black directors in the UK for a charity. And it went on and on and on. But I... To close the bit I said before, I was still angry. I was doing so much good work and I hadn't taken care of myself. And that's when I created the, what did I really want to do? The moment I had to sit down and face what went on, 
So what was that? How did you face well, that? I mean, where did that forgiveness come from, yeah. from suffering with this abuse? Where, where did you have to find that in your own heart to say, okay, I forgive this person. I forgive. And, and did that bring you relief? Yeah, I, I remember exactly the moment because I started to read books. I started to, obviously I did counseling courses. I was helping people. I, I set up counseling services. I set up substance misuse services. I was even working with young people with race hate crime. And I've got Asian toned skin. It's like I was working with young white men who were racially motivated to attack Asian people. Wow. And all this was going on, but I was getting results. And what was happening was I would read books. So I'd read like Tony Robbins books, but I wouldn't read Tony Robbins books and apply the knowledge to myself. I'd read it, highlight it, and think I'm gonna go and take knowledge and go and help other people. Hmm. So I'm doing what probably most of your listeners who you know come and listen to you is, they really care and they wanna help others. I wanted to help other people. I was conditioned to helping other people as a child. Why? Because I never told anybody what happened at home. Hmm. And because I didn't tell anybody, if I saw someone else that was miserable, I'd think they must have it worse than me. So I was conditioned to do that. But the forgiveness work I used to do as well, I found it so difficult because I was taught just out therapy where you can sit in a chair and have a conversation with people. So I decided to combine that with forgiving my father because my father died when I was 18, but I was still angry. Yeah. And we all have that. You know, when you're angry, you're angry with someone who's done something. But the worst thing is we're angry with people when they're not even in the room with us. Right. And we're the ones that are suffering and they're out having a jolly time. Oh, yeah. But what happens when you're angry with someone who's no longer alive? It's, that's what I was going through and so on. I thought, well, it's never going to change. So my whole thing when I did forgiveness work, I used to pretend I'm having a conversation with my father. And I used to tell him things that I wanted to say that you know, I wanted to get off my chest. I understood scientifically about what I was doing. And then when I'd forgive him, the challenge I had was this. When I forgave him for what he did to me, I would be left very raw and feeling like, I'd feel bad because it made me focus on what he did to me. So I felt like I was a victim. Right. And then one of the biggest times, the shift for me was when I was a programmer with Tony Roberts. And he does an exercise where he calls it like a oneness state where you get into gratitude. But I misheard what he said because uh, I was too busy writing down word for word what he was saying so I could help others, right? And all of a sudden you have to close your eyes and do the exercise. Right. And I remember closing my eyes going, what did he say? And you close your eyes, your hand on your heart. And I thought, did he say, think of what's great in your life? And I remember trying to think of what was great in my life. And I couldn't because I was the guy that was busy helping other people. And now I'm going in. And what happened was I started to beat myself up because I couldn't think of anything great. I started to cry. And it was oh. one of the trainers. And, you know, I'm UK and he's got an American accent. He's like, it's okay, buddy. And I think <laughs> it's not okay right. because I can't. And it's like... And then there was this beautiful soul who came out and he said, hey, look, let whatever was there, let it come out. And I just started writing and writing. And you know what it was? My, my switch was when I got to realizing there is greatness in my life. And then it became something I call gratitude. <laughs> and then I linked it to gratitude. And now I link every single day. And I had a conversation with a 15-year-old me, not my dad. Okay. The only person I needed to forgive was me. Wow. So I forgave the 15-year-old for linking all the terrible things that happened in my life to me leaving home. And then I went on a whole mission and said, I will find out what goes on wow. and take it back to young people. Good. And young people like <laughs> you, because my message is this. I was always taught that young people are leaders of tomorrow. Yeah. That's, tr that's not true in its fullest sense. Because we are adults of tomorrow. 
but leadership is something about service. And I was doing service at a small age. You and I know there are young children doing service leadership now. So therefore, they're leaders of today. That's why, you know, I, I'm as excited to be here as you are. Oh, thank you, Harry. And I just think what you're doing is so incredible. And being able to take that and put it into today's youth is what's so important. If you want to find more about Harry Singa, as well as myself, be sure to go to my website. You can go to CassandraPerkinsRadio.com. We'll be right back. This is Scott Glazer, the Executive Director for the National Alliance on Mental Illness of Colorado. Please join us for the NAMI Walk on Saturday, May 21st at Centennial Center Park in Centennial, Colorado. There's no cost to register, but we do encourage you to fundraise. And walkers that raise $100 or more can receive an official NAMI Walks t-shirt. The dollars that are raised will help support classes and support groups throughout Colorado and allow us to offer these programs free of charge. You can join us at our kickoff party and find out more information about how to become a team captain at namiwalks.org backslash Colorado. NamiWalks.org backslash Colorado. Thanks for asking, but I'd rather not send you nude pictures. I'm camera shy. I already said no. It's against my religion. I'm giving my dog a bath. You can have pics of that. Pressure gives me hives. Under my clothes, I'm a robot. Hold on. Let me ask my mom. Sorry, my webcam is broken. I'm worried they'll get passed around school. Unfortunately, I just had my clothes surgically attached to my body. If they got out, I might never be president. I'm already naked, under my clothes. Not even if you were all three Jonas Brothers. I have a rash. I have nudophobia. I have lizard skin. The more you ask, the less I want to. You're not the boss of me. Nudity makes me vomit. I'm a vampire, so I don't show up in pictures anyways. Your badgering has really killed the mood. When someone is pressuring you to do something you don't want to, how many ways can you say no before they get the message? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hi, this is Cassandra Perkins from Behind the Mask. And this is Mark Mara with Champion of Choices. Major depression affects more than 120 million people around the world. Suicide is now the second leading cause of death with students ages 10 through 24. Like my good friend Mark says, happiness is the key to success, and we all have that choice to make in life. There is a light at the end of the tunnel, so reach out to those around you and be the voice. We become who we surround ourselves with. Your friends, they're like elevators. They're either going to take you up or they're going to take you down. Find out more information at thinkpause, that's P-O-Z dot org, thinkpause dot org.
Welcome back, everyone. I am joined right here in studio with Harry Singa, who is so incredible. We've been able to pick out his mind and <laughs> hear his story and hear his past and everything he had to go through in his life and is now on top of that and sharing his experiences with other people. So thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. And before the break, we were talking about that. We were talking uh, about where that moment had to click in your head to say, I forgive and forgive yourself and forgive your father and be able to be in a situation where you can find the good, even when you felt that there was no good to be found. And to be able to have that realization is one that not many people have. And more importantly, not many people know how to have. And that's why I think sharing your story is, is what's so important because people can hear that and say, Oh, me too. I've been through that too. I relate to that as well. And be able to make that click in their own heads to say, okay, well, I'll give this a try. And to be able to just start that that thought in their mind is what really makes the difference. So thank you for, you know, not just being on my radio show, but sharing your story in general, because I know how difficult it is, uh, not personally, I don't know exactly what you had to go through, but I know how difficult it is to have to reshare your story and, and to put it out there and to put it out there into the public's eye. So being able to do that, I just think is so powerful. And, and thank you for sharing your story. Well, we're kindred spirits because you know, You've had to come overcome your own, yeah. thing, and I'm with you that there will still be pain when we share our story, but oh, there, yeah. there isn't suffering because we, you know, we've taken our mess, turned it into our message, you know, test into testament, worst date, best day, whatever label you want to put on it. Yeah. But it's when you can take it and then it becomes a gift that you can share, then you get to that level of gratitude. Yeah. Right? And just as you mentioned there, the bit I really want to make sure that your your listeners get is this is when I wrote my book, I created a model called LIGHT, L-I-G-H-T. And L-I-G-H-T was, I thought, well, what, what do you need to come your darkest, worst days into your best, brightest days? And I thought LIGHT, and LIGHT means so much to me. And I was able to put it into an acronym. But the point I want to make is this, is if someone had come and given me that book when I was 18 years old, say, hey, dude, here's a book. Right. It's called The LIGHT Model. It will turn your worst days into your best days. Right. I probably would have attacked them. Right. Because <laughs> the point is this, is I wasn't in the place to apply those tools and so the biggest gift I give to anyone that's listening thinking hey great you know what yeah it won't work for me I needed to have what I talked about earlier I needed to have a place where I was feeling that there was some greatness in my life I needed to get to gratitude before I could do it and that's why I always advocate that people do what I call a gratitude flood for 30 days every day the last thing you do is you write down everything great in your life and you fill the page don't cheat like I did my writing got a lot bigger trying to just fill the page (laughs) so it's like you fill a page every single day your life will transform when you start to connect with what is great in your life because when we've had those adversities we tend to link all of our challenges based onto that story of the adversity. Oh, yeah. If you can't be in a relationship, well, come on, why I've got my story. My dad was alcoholic, you know, left home at 15, can't get, all of those, we got the story. But when you can start linking it back to greatness, then you're in a position to go through the L-I-G-H-T because, it, you know, I, I can relate to it. And yeah. I know you can and probably most of your listeners do too. Well, that's hard to do at some points in your life when you do feel all like you're in complete darkness and you're surrounded by darkness. That's very hard to do to find the light. And for me, I think a, a big part of my recovery was also the support from others around me as well and being able to have those little realizations from other people around you to find that light. Yeah. So being able to you know not go through this alone and being able to reach out to yeah. people because when you share your story, it really does make a difference. And uh, I just went to 
to uh, Ziggler headquarters. I'm Zig Ziggler certified. So there they do this amazing thing where they have these cards and it says, I like blank because blank, 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 blank. Yeah, yeah. And it's a it's a group of uh, inspirational people in this room and they're all so happy and all so positive. And I've got like a whole stack of ones that people have given to me. Wow. And what I've done is, is put those all over my mirror. So that way in the morning I can remind myself because I still have bad days. We're yeah. still human. We're, exactly. And, I have days where I wake up and I can feel down or feel upset or feel not pretty, feel whatever the case may be. And I can still look in that mirror and, and the place that I go every day to get ready and to start my day is the mirror. And to be able to look around that and see these things of greatness yeah. and say, I am these things. I am worthy of this. That is something to make that little switch in your life, to even just set something as your wallpaper where you see it every day. And it doesn't have to be something that you're spending like five hours a day reminding yourself. It's just like that little reminder and it starts to click in your head over time. And it's so incredible. And I love that you say that to remind yourself of yeah. greatness. And I think it's so incredible how you're taking that greatness of your life and instilling it in today's youth. Because again, as we talked uh, at the beginning of the show, this society is very, oh, this generation is completely lost. There's no hope for them. And being able to instill that and have a, a, someone of your generation say for someone of our generation, no, you can be a leader in your life. You can do these things. That's something we don't hear enough as mm -hmm. our generation. So what are you doing to help kids today and those tools that you learned, that click that you had in your head to learn those leadership qualities? How are you teaching that sure, to them? Brilliant. I'd love to share. What I want to say is a few things on what you just said there. Perfect. Um, <laughs> you, like many other people, you never found the light. Yeah. You actually became the light. <laughs> right? So I want you to actually you. be clear that it's like when we go looking for something, we then have a presupposition that you could end up losing as well. When you become that light, I think your parents and other people that were around you, they were being lights. They were being lights for you just to remind you that you were the light. And that faith, that belief in you is there. The other thing about, you know, will you carry on having worse days? Yeah. And I always make sure on my talks, I let people know, you know, they think, oh, he's living every day. Yeah. That's the best day. And I tell them about my best days, you know, meeting my wife, you know, my kids and all of this and all the things that we do. Um, but I say to him, you know, I had that road traffic accident when they told me I may never walk again. That, that could pretty much be the worst day. Yep. But I turned that round. I didn't wait 10 years this time. Then a year later, they tell me I've got a tumor eating away at my brain. And I thought that would be your worst day. And then when they operated to took the tumor out, they took a piece of my ear out and said I may never hear again. And I was, that could be a worst day. But every single time now, once we now know that, you know what, life's a blessing. Tomorrow's never promised. But you now know that there is so much more that we can tap into by being the light. And to answer your question now about what doing and so on, um, I started small. I started creating, I set up a generic counseling service where I grew up because I knew that the young people, because I was still a young person, the, the, the guys who were having, say, issues with their sexuality didn't want to go for the gay lesbian counseling service because then everyone would know that maybe that's what they were going for. Young people didn't want to go to the drugs counseling service because then everybody would label them as a junkie. The young Asian females, they didn't want to go there. because, And so I knew they just wanted a place they could go, whatever chance, so I set it up. And that's when I thought, I'm serving my community. I set it up 100 yards from the school I went to. And I was still doing stuff. And then with personal development, my community got bigger and bigger and bigger. So I went from London-wide to UK-wide, and then we started to do stuff around the world. So now 
my passion when it comes to youth leadership is through my foundation. We take 200 young people on a program for six days where we bring in the best speakers in the field that they are in. And I have a model of leadership called Flowers. F is faith. So we have activities throughout the week, and faith is the I can do. You know, break boards, jump off poles, you know, everything there where it gets them to a level of, you know what, wow, I can do this. And then L is learning. Because as leaders, we always need to remember that we keep learning, right? And that learning is cool. Rather than being, you know, most young people are like, oh, I don't like learning. Learning's not for me. And the worst bit is, I'm not good at learning. Hmm. So we, we need to take that out. O is optimum health. Because you know we need energy as leaders to do what we do, right? You would never be able to do what you do if you didn't have this passion and energy, right? And then W is wealth. If you really want to be a leader in wealth, it's not just about wealth finances. It's about abundance, because it's never about, like, here's the thing about you, Cassie. It's not about the resources you have. It's your resourcefulness, how you can impact people, bring people to your show, impact everybody. So wealth is about abundance, right? And entrepreneurship is about taking what people feel has no value, and you turn it on its head and create massive value, right? Mm. And that's the W. E is emotions. You know that's what we need. Managing our emotional states is the absolute, you know, the the cornerstone of our success in every yeah. era. R is relationships. You and I know no one can achieve anything on their own, right? There's no such thing as a self-made millionaire. Right. But when it comes to relationships, it can be our biggest blessing and the biggest pain. But as leaders, we must know how to manage our own relationships, you know, invest in those and a team, and then we get to S. And S is service, service and contribution. So they go on a six-day program. At the end of that six-day program, they must commit to a service leadership project. And what we have is five programs across five continents. One Europe, one say, one Africa, one Australia, one Asia. And that way we have a thousand young people go through this program. And those thousand young people impact another thousand young people, whether it's speaking in a school, whether it's doing something in a care home or elderly home, whatever they're doing, even if their community is just their family. They commit to a small service project that they can follow through with, and they also commit to a big one that they need to start putting their tools together. That's how we impact a million people a year. And it's leaders creating leaders. Youth of today, leaders of today. Wow. I mean, to have that tool right there in front of you is so incredible. And to define that and define what that success is, is what's so unique and so important because kids don't necessarily see that today. And there's a kid that I know personally that um, I'm doing a class with, and he told me that one of his main goals is just to be a leader. And he doesn't think he'll ever become that in his entire life. And he is just the most, and, and my mom could speak for me as well. He's the most outgoing, fun-loving, kind individual leader that I've ever met out of a kid. And it's just so, it, he just doesn't see it. I'm like, you are a leader, man. You are a leader right now in your life. Right now, I see you. We turn on the music in the class and he dances and he's, in a middle school right now and kids just don't act like that and it just i don't know how to get that through to him so how do you show oh, kids how do you show kids that they are leaders in brilliant, their life brilliant, brilliant. we have about three minutes before yeah, break. let's do it I mean, um i'll speak faster <laughs> no, um, <laughs> i get to i get the privilege and honor to go and speak in you know what we call primary schools so these are these are children age say four to five years old up to about seven eight nine ten five and my, my message in there is simply this. I go, and, I go and teach them state management. I teach them emotional intelligence. Go and do it. Yeah. But the message I want to teach them is exactly what we said, that leaders of today, right? 
And what we do is I go around and I ask these young people, what is a leader? What's their definition of a leader? And he had this young girl, six years old, and she said, oh, um, I think leadership is, leader is someone who makes things clear for other people. Hmm. I said, okay, cool. I said, you come up. We went round and we asked a few other people. I said, you come up. She stood there. And then I said to everyone, the next question, what age will she become a leader? And some people said 16, some said 21. Some, and then there was this little boy, tiny little boy. He goes, whenever she wants to. <laughs> said, you come up as well. And as we was going around, I said to her, what's your definition of leadership? And she said, a leader is someone who makes things clear for people. I said, how many of you think you're a little bit clear about what leadership is based on what she said? And they went, yeah. And I went, ooh, that would make you a leader now. And I had <laughs> a sticker that says, youth of today, leader, stand up, put it on here. That little kid went, do I get one? <laughs> and I said, yes, dude, because you realize that she's a leader today. And I said, therefore, she's six years old. And you know, hanging out with my buddy, Nate, he's got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. And when we talk about leadership is service, this little four-year-old kid sat me down and said, Harry, I want to say something to you. And I said, what? He said, I love you. Oh. And you know what? We went on with a conversation later. And he said, you know what? It's, we talked about, we say good things because we feel good. I said, yeah. And then I said to him, people don't always say good things. He said, no, there's a kid in my school that doesn't always say good things. He probably doesn't feel good often. And then he asked, what could he do? And he said, all he has to do is just feel good and he'll make the kid feel better. He's four years old. That's a leader, right? So we don't have to give him the title. We don't have to say, hey, dude, you're a leader, and so on, and put it down their throat. We must start with knowing they are. But those that, like that young person that you said, you can see it in him, but sometimes someone else just needs to let him realize it himself. Yeah. Cool. And it's so amazing to see that leadership quality in them. And, you know, you wish you could just shake them until they see it. I mean, that's yeah. what we wish we all could do. But it, they do have to discover that themselves. And that's something that I've learned. But we can give them the tools and, and, you know, parents, adults, teachers, be there and support these kids because they do have leadership qualities and they're going to have to make that decision in their own head. But to be there and so, show support and, and love them so they can realize that. The simplest and, thing? is educate that young man yeah. on what is leadership. Yeah. When you educate him that the highest level of leadership is to serve, to help someone, he can smile and help someone. Wow. Let him know that what he does helps you, therefore he's serving. And then tell him the first level of leadership is to do self-leadership. And that's where he thinks, oh, you know, but all you just do is how can he be his best him and take imperfect action. Absolutely. Just take imperfect action, one step at a time. That's all it takes. In the moment, he's serving. Is there times when he's not serving? And yes, but so are we. Yeah, absolutely. So that's it. Let, let him know. Let him know that's it. But your belief in him, your faith in him, will do it. But educate. Let him know what leadership is. Absolutely, Harry. We do have to take a break. Oh no! <laughs> but when we return, I want to talk to you more. You have books. You're you're motivational speaker. You're doing amazing things. You have foundations. I want to dive into that and find really what you're doing. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Harry Singer. See? 
Hi, this is Cassandra Perkins. This is Deputy John Arnold with the Douglas County Sheriff's Office. Did you know that over 1,006,000 car accidents are caused from texting and driving each year? Also, you have a 23% greater chance of being involved in a motor vehicle accident while texting and driving. If you get a text, it can wait. Pull over to a safe location. Nothing is that important. Don't, Don't drive, drive while intoxicated. Hi, this is Cassandra Perkins, host of Behind the Mask. And this is Linda Newell, Colorado State Senator. Colorado ranks seventh in the nation for suicide. And in Colorado, suicide is the second cause of death for youth ages 10 through 24. If you are considering or have thoughts of suicide, don't be afraid to reach out. In a world where you might feel alone, please know there is always someone there to listen. No judgments, confidential. Call the National Suicide Hotline, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Students, when I call the reason for your absences throughout the years, please exit the auditorium without your high school diploma. <clears throat> Too tired? Family trip? Sick day? Starting the holidays early. Starting in the sixth grade, students who miss 18 days or more of school in a year for any reason will fall behind and risk not graduating high school. How many days of school has your child missed this year? Absences add up. Keep track at boostattendance.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone. I am joined right here in studio with Harry Singa. Thanks so much for being here. I appreciate you so much. My I, pleasure. Everything so you're doing and that you're reaching out to the youth and you're being there for the youth, but also you're supporting businesses, you're supporting large businesses, organizations, you're supporting them all, and you're supporting parents as well and giving them these tools. So you're really hitting all aspects uh, of everything uh, all around us, which is what is so unique because you never know who's going to be able to take this and apply it in their life. And that I think is, I mean, I, you'll probably agree with me. One of the amazing things about speaking is you never know who you're going to reach with your story. You never know who, what they're going to pull out of it and what they're going to get back. And that's what makes sharing your story so unique. And once we do that in our personal life, uh, you know, on a stage, wherever it is, once you start coming out about your story and sharing your story, you tend to pull in people around you as well who can relate to you and who can be there and comfort you and when you start finding other people around you and finding that support it does bring you out of the darkness a little bit and uh, and really that was the situation for me in, in my life when I was going through that situation was to have my mom there uh, again to say and have my dad there and have even my sister there to say okay here you are in a depressive state let's go volunteer let's go do something and they pulled me out of that darkness but initially, I had to make the decision myself to come out of that That's darkness. Right. But I was given the tools and the support and the love around me and not being stuck in a dark place, uh, you know, the school system, not being stuck there and being bullied and continuing to get put down. I was pulled out of that and put into a positive light. And and some people don't always have that option, though. They don't always have that option to have positive light, which is why having people go out and teach that as such as yourself is so incredible. So you have organizations. Would you mind telling me what they are and really what the main goal about it is? Um, well, my life is built around service starts at home. Right? So when I get introduced about all the things that I do, I tell everybody, you know, my first question is, can we all agree that 
how we measure success is different. And I've always said to people, the number one for me, my measure of success is my relationship with my wife. Because my wife was the person that first, you know, held me when I start to share, when I like, you know, the light model L is let it out, right? Um, and she was the first person just I uh, let me be. Mm. And so she was my best friend then, still is my best friend now. So everything I do, I do as much as I can to make sure it's built around my wife and my kids and so on. So as productive and busy as I am as perceived by the outside world, I am still very much um, centered around what I do with my family and so on. And what that allows me to do is they allow me to go and serve the way I do. And what I have is I have several companies, like you said, and on one side, my, my passion is, you know, helping leaders create more impact, serve more people, and then if they choose to create a lifestyle income doing so. Because I knew when people were getting, coming to mentoring for me, it wasn't just to become a coach or become a speaker. They wanted the lifestyle. And I was like, well, they need to change a few bits in their mindset. So I still do that. I still take a handful of people every year and, you know, take them through, you know, standard life coaches and get them to a level where they can do their best work and then get rewarded and paid in that way. So then they can get two things. One, they can get the financial um, security or vitality that allows them to go and serve, but also time. So it frees up their time to go and do the service that they want. Um, and then obviously, because I'm so passionate about speaking, I think speaking, like you know, is a platform for you to serve many. Oh yeah. And that way you can serve and you can do business and so on. So I do those things and at the same time, my companies are set up to fund my foundation as well as sponsors and so on. And then the foundation is simply that. It's, I've, I've worked with so many foundations and partnered with foundations and found that there was their core, you know, the jewel in the crown wasn't clear. They would be doing so many different things. And my foundation is simply this. It's all about that Youth Leadership Summit. Every penny we raise goes to that Youth Leadership Summit. And what people don't realize is is we sponsor maybe you know 95 to 99 percent of the young people that go to this program because they come from some of the most vulnerable communities we take leadership to the communities where people say don't go there our last big youth leadership summit was in kosovo hmm. so many people didn't go because of what the perception is you know i did it in kenya we did it in myanmar and so on so i probably put something that we haven't shared yet that i don't share too publicly um, which is on a radio show, but it's strange, is I always say to people, find out what you think is the biggest challenge to humanity. And it might not be what you're working on and so on. Just close your eyes and, you know, for 10 minutes, just think what is to you personally, no one else will judge it. What do you think is the biggest challenge to humanity? And then when you got that, every day you can do a little bit to make a difference. And then you can make a bigger difference without because then you let go of the outcome of running a foundation and doing this. Hmm. Mine, I believe, is, is still human trafficking and slavery. And I take leaders into those communities. Hmm. And more importantly, I develop and create leaders in that community. So I don't talk wow. about human trafficking. I, get, I work with organizations. I work with the police and things like that. I get to do that. But my whole thing is... Do I want to focus on human trafficking, human slavery? No, I focus on leadership. And I focus on creating leaders in those communities because they will take care of it. I trained young people in child protection because I thought, who are the best people to protect children? Young people. Mm -hmm. 
rather than going around doing it. And to me, that's still that mantra, leaders create leaders, whether it's corporate. If every single owner of their business understood that their role was to serve, serve the people that are working for them, serve their customers, serve their suppliers, and play on a level where, do you know what, when they play like that, they understand as the head of the organization, their emotional state filters down, and then people will start to model it. So, yeah, I mean, I, even though I'm clear what I do in my business, a lot of people go, what the hell does this guy do? He yeah. just seems to be doing everything. I thought, you know what, so what, <laughs> right? Because it's really a case of, can you make a difference just by being who you are, serving, can you make an income from it? Of course you can, right? You can do it, but it always comes from, here's my mantra, add value first. Absolutely. And you have to have value for yourself and, and, and for yourself first before you can add value to anybody else's life. And to discover that in yourself, again, is, is sometimes a very difficult thing to do, which I just, again, want to thank you so much for sharing your story and, and being out there and sharing that because that's, again, a very difficult thing to do. But once you discovered that value in yourself, such as myself, when I discovered that value in my own life, I wanted nothing more than to just help everyone else because here I am coming out of that dark part of my life and into the light. And then I had to look back and see everybody else in the dark. And you just want to help everyone and you want to go through that and, and just help and support all the people who are going through similar situations you are. And I think when, like you said, when we discover our cause and we discover something that is a problem in society, once you discover those things, going out there and helping towards that can also add value to your life. So it's just like volunteering. For me, it was volunteering with the homeless. And once I saw the value that these people who had nothing in their life had and how positive they were in their life, being able to put that back in myself, it was a benefit. It was a win-win for everyone. So being able to have that value in your life is so incredible. Harry Singh, I want to thank you so much for being on my show today and adding value to my life. I very much appreciate you. If you want to know more about Harry Singh, you can go to Harry singa.com or you can go to my website cassandraperkinsradio.com and you can check out his books he's you can book him i just want to thank you so much for being on my show today appreciate you absolute honor thank you so absolutely much. and thank you all for listening today and thanks jorge for making my show incredible and adding value to it <laughs> remember to love god love people and impact the world for christ Thank you for tuning in to Behind the Mask with Cassandra Perkins. To reach Cassandra or to learn more about her ministry and work, visit CassandraPerkinsRadio.com or look her up on Facebook. It's gonna be alright. Cause God made a way through the pain and he opened her eyes. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.